Hello and welcome to the latest Money on Politics podcast, which is recorded on Monday, November the 6th, and it's around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, this is the first podcast I've done in a while, and it's the first blog post I've done in a while, and this one is prompted by last weekend's Fianna Fáil Ardesh, in particular Michal Martin's speech. Now, I did a similar exercise back in October 2022 at the last speech, and Basically, what I do, I tend to look at it in the same way, in a similar way, not exactly the same, because that one was a, a compare and contrast with Nicholas Surgeon's final speech as SNP leader, though we didn't know she was it was her final speech at that point. And I, I took both speeches side by side and compared them and contrasted them. Anyway, so by my calculations last Saturday night, Sardesh's speech was Michal Martin's ninth as party leader. His first was back in 2012. And that was at the 73rd Ardesh. Well, this weekend's micro-gathering was the 81st Ardesh, so that makes this his ninth speech. Now, although it's his ninth speech, it's important to note that Michal Martin will be entering his 14th year as party leader in just under three months. And he's been fairly unfortunate in missing out on several opportunities to address the party faithful, particularly during his time as Taoiseach, thanks to COVID. Because Ardesh speeches matter. And though leaders now have online platforms where they can directly address the public, they still cherish the half-hour TV slot once every 12 to 18 months. Now, they don't seem to cherish it as much as the RTE executives, because over the over the last decade or so, RTE has moved to reduce the slot from one hour to just 30 minutes, and to move it from prime time, which used to be at 8 o'clock in the evening, to now to early evenings around 6, 6.30. Now, these are two decisions with which I would very much disagree. Now, I'm told that the time shift was brought in by RTE to cut overtime costs. And of course, we know that senior management at RTE are extremely vigilant in keeping their wage bill down. Now, most parties put considerable thought and effort into crafting the party leader's speech and work starts several weeks before the Ardesh. Party pollsters are consulted and occasionally some organisations, some parties do focus groups in particular to test their messaging. Now it's important to clarify here because I think there's often a misapprehension or people think that parties do polling or do focus groups to decide what their message should be and actually it's quite the other way around. The purpose of focus groups, the purpose of this kind of polling analysis is to find out do your target voters hear what you're saying? You're not there to see what it is the voters want to hear and then craft a message to suit that. It's the other way around. Is that you craft the message and then test that message to make sure that people do understand what it is you're trying to say. Because one of the big tasks and one of the big problems in mass political communications is that voters often don't hear what it is you're saying. They hear something else. So the testing and polling is to eliminate the possibility of confusion or misunderstanding. Because what I say is not always the same thing as what you hear. So let me move forward with the analysis of this year's speech. And I'm going to use some of the metrics I applied to the last speech. Though, as I, as I mentioned at the outset, I won't be doing the compare and contrast. So first, let me look at Martin's speech from the viewpoint of a speechwriter. There's a little bit of good news here. I think this year's script was an improvement on last year's. Now, it was still over long. He is still trying to say too much in too short a space, a space of time. But his speech writing this, t- this year had the wish to include more full stops. The bad news is they didn't put in enough. Now, I'm not, some of you might be familiar with a thing called the Hemingway app. And the Hemingway app is something in which you drop text and it analyzes and it looks for 
phrases that are overlong, they're overly complicated, there are prepositional phrases, and it basically analyzes the speech and gets you to focus in on areas where you need to tidy up. Now, it's, it's useful for articles or for speeches or for a whole range of written material. So I last year I put the Martin script uh, circulated to the Hemingway app and it found that 40 of the 195 sentences in that script, that was about 20.5% of the script, was rated as very difficult to understand. Now sadly, the score this year isn't that much better. It's 20.9% with 47 out of the 225 sentences also rated as very difficult to understand. As you can see there, at least there's 30 extra sentences for roughly the same amount of words. Because, again, Martin's team is trying to cram too much into too short a space. And while RTE allows 27 minutes of live TV time, don't forget, like, that 30 minutes also, the slot also includes ad breaks at the beginning and at the end. When you allow for the warm-up, in this case it was Darrell O'Brien, when you allow for the, the choreography of Mial Martin walking on with the background music, and then when you allow for the final shot of the big ovation, with half the parliamentary party running up to be photographed and following a donut around them, the leader tends to have a maximum of 24 and a half minutes, maybe 24 minutes, 40 seconds actual speaking time. But even that overstates it. Because this 24 minutes and 40 seconds assumes that the audience is just going to listen listen in silence. And of course, no party and no party leader and no party press officer or media people want to see that. So the writers must also allow for six to eight seconds for each burst of applause and craft a script that includes an applause break every two minutes at a minimum. Now, last Saturday, Michal Martin got 25 rounds of applause during his speech. And when I say during the speech, I'm not including the ones at the beginning. I'm not including the ones at the end. I am talking about after he has said good evening and before he said good night. Now, that's another 150 seconds, two and a half minutes out of that 24 and a half minutes, a lot of time. That left Michal Martin with just over 22 minutes. And the problem is his, his speechwriters gave him a 3,390 word speech. That's a staggering delivery rate of 150 words per minute. Now, I'm speaking at roughly a rate of about 120 words per minute, and I tend to be a fast speaker. But even that is a little bit too much. But 150 words per minute is far too much. And even if you were to take the script as written, attribute the 24 and a half minutes to it, and don't allow any time for applause, his speaking rate is still 137 words per minute. The problem with that is it doesn't allow the audience at home or in the hall to grasp and fully absorb what it is you have just said, particularly when some of the lines you're, you're reading are overlong. Now, as I pointed out last year, Nicola Sturgeon, her speaking rate and her final conference speech was a much calmer 100 words per minute. Let me look at a couple of other comparisons. In his most recent Tory party leader speech, the Conservative leader and UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak delivered his 64-minute long address at a rate of 117 words per minute, while the UK Labour leader Keir Starmer scored an even more impressive 108 words per minute for his 55-minute long speech. And this allows time for the stage invasion by that Egypt with the glitter. The lower the word rate per minute you have, 
allows you adopt a more conversational style and tone. Preparing a script with this in mind allows the leader to engage in a conversation rather than a lecture. To bring it into the immediate situation here, it allows the speaker to sound more like a leader than a moonthor. Martin's speechwriters did him no service last year, this year or the many years before that by trying to throw everything in and the kitchen sink. Cramming in too much, and by the way, I fully accept, based on my own knowledge of what's happening here, that Michal Martin is probably the biggest culprit when it comes to not cutting back the text. Makes the delivery of the speech hurried and even a little bit shouty. By in trying to cloud too much, you deny yourself the scope to let the audience respond and to react to the key messages, the key messages you have included, assuming that there are any. So, as a consequence, Martin once again found himself trying to cut short the applause. Indeed, it was interesting to see how often the Fianna Fáil membership in the hall saw some of the lines as being far more important and consequential than even the leader did. And this was particularly evident in the sections on republicanism, peacekeeping and with the situation in Gaza. The loyal supporters in the room were telling him that these were the lines they most wanted to hear. But rather than allowing these points to sink in by taking it slower, by taking it calmer and allowing the gaps for the speed, for the applause and indeed allowing for the applause to grow, Martin insisted on ploughing ahead and talking across the points that were connecting best. This was a major mistake for which Martin must accept most of the blame. And by the way, these points were, as we could see from the latest Sunday Independent Ireland Things poll, particularly on Gaza, particularly on sympathy with what's happening to the Palestinians, are in tune with the majority of Irish voters. The main image and soundbite emerging from Saturday's Ordesh should have been that of Michal Martin as Tarnished and Minister for Foreign Affairs calmly but very directly telling a difficult truth to the Israeli government and telling that truth without a country's ambassador in the audience along with the rest of the entire diplomatic corps. When you look at the script, you can actually see that this was the intention. But sadly, Martin's need, his insistence on getting through the script within the allotted time and not cutting any of the text reduced the impact of the moment. It's not a serious offence, but I think it, it hurt his own speech and it hurt basically the message he was trying to get across because he needed to trust his loyal members to respond appropriately. And they did. Indeed, you can hear the cheers and see that some actually were starting to stand up when you watch the video, expecting a sustained ovation. But most people in the hall sensed that Martin wanted to push ahead with his speech, and so the moment was muted. It's an example of how just off-kilter Martin's political instincts can be. Now, the script, as delivered, read as follows. Israel has a fundamental obligation to respond within the boundaries of international humanitarian law. At this point, there was applause, which Michal Martin wasn't expecting. They then went on with the rest of that sentence, which is, civilians must be protected. The unfolding tragedy and the rising toll of lost lives, and especially of children, has to stop. There was another sustained burst of applause here. Martin then pressed ahead. We urgently need a humanitarian ceasefire. We need all the hostages to be released 
and we need, need a significant scaling up of vital supplies for civilians and especially medical supplies. And again, there was another sustained burst of applause there. Now, I'm actually going to include now the audio track of what happened there and listen to it. Because you actually start the clip, not with the text there, but with, with what, what I suspect was the biggest cheer of the night. Well, certainly to judge on the audio track of the, of, the, of, the, of the clip. Because that was for Ireland's peacekeepers. And the words are spoken as are as written. Michal Martin didn't leave anything out. The issue was that they were delivered at such a pace as to undermine their meaning. Michal Martin's scriptwriters on this one got the tone and balance right. It was the speaker who got it slightly wrong. And tonight, delegates, we thank our Irish peacekeepers serving in the Middle East and elsewhere for their courage. <laughs> for, for their courage in the pursuit of that most noble calling of all, peacekeeping. Delegates, the brutal savagery of Hamas has no justification whatsoever. And no one who believes... And no one who believes in core human values should have a problem saying this. And Israel has a fundamental obligation to respond within the boundaries of international humanitarian law. Civilians... Civilians must be protected. The unfolding tragedy and the rising toll of lost lives, and especially of children, simply has to stop. We, we urgently need a humanitarian ceasefire. We need all hostages to be released. And we need a significant scaling up of vital supplies for civilians, and especially medical supplies. This terrible... Now, of course, there's an inherent difficulty with examining Martin's script and delivery as a piece of performance. And that problem is that you miss the wider perspective. Drilling down into the details of sentence structure and flow risks omitting the bigger issue of message. Because the question was, what was last Saturday night's speech about? And the political editors of the Sunday newspapers were unsure. The Sunday Independent thought the core message was that Ireland must stand with Europe, and indeed that was an important portion of Michael Martin's speech. However, their counterparts in the Irish Mail on Sunday thought that the core message was that the coalition disagrees with Sinn Féin on housing. Indeed, the Business Post broadly agreed with that, saying that the key message was that the coalition will have built 100,000 houses by next year. Look at those two last headlines. doesn't talk about Fianna Fáil. It talks about the coalition, talks about the entire government. It gives credit to Fine Gael and to the Greens. That's a noble thing for Michael Martin to do. But should he be using his party leader's speech to do that? And this is the problem with having a shopping list style speech with a section on housing, a section on health, a section on education, a section on climate change, a section on Northern Ireland, which I'll return to in a second, and a section on the Defence Forces. Actually, there wasn't a section on the Defence Forces. There was barely half a line. It got the biggest cheer of the night. But the actual line itself was patronising when you look back to what Michal Martin had actually done as Minister of Defence when it came to delivering the budget. The problem with this shopping list style of speech 
is that you tend to have no message, apart from the fact that you're still the party leader and you're still in government. Now let me return to my concerns about the, the section on Northern Ireland. I'm a little disappointed, maybe even better stronger, that despite the shopping list nature of the speech, Micheál Martin opted not to address the long-running impasse of Stormont, nor to offer Ireland's views on what might happen if the Assembly and Executive are not re-established and if the London government attempts to impose direct rule. We're moving into a critical period. There's a lot of speculation that maybe next week, or maybe, sorry, this week, with the King's speech, that there will be some signals in that that the DUP will interpret as grounds for returning into the Assembly and forming the Executive and nominating a Deputy First Minister. But that's less than certain. Indeed, Micheál Martin was prepared to talk about that yesterday. I just wish he'd spoken about it in his Ardesh speech if he, had, if he was going to insist on doing the shopping list. Because there are times when the shopping list approach works. Party leaders, particularly when in government, need to set out their record of achievements. They are perfectly right and perfectly entitled to remind voters that they have delivered on their pre-election pledges and are worthy of retaining the voters' support. But that strategy tends to work best when you're addressing a receptive audience and especially if you are doing well in the polls. Because then you are right to adopt a steady-as-she-goes approach. It's a fair strategy to reassure voters that their faith and confidence in you was well-deserved. But is it the best strategy when your party is languishing anywhere between 3 to 6 percentage points below where you were when you entered government? Is this the correct approach when voters are unsure as to what makes you different and what makes you better than the alternatives, be they in opposition or saving alongside you in government? And I think not, and I'm disappointed, though not entirely surprised, that that Michal Martin's strategist went with this shopping list approach. He does not get many opportunities to address voters uninterrupted and explain why his party is the right choice. And as I have said here many, many times, I think the problem for Fianna Fáil is that Martin and his team do not approach things from the perspective of the leader of a major political party, but rather from the, from the viewpoint or the positioning of a popular individual, almost a leader without a party, a parliamentary president. Now, as the independent.ie's Philip Ryan pointed out in a very perceptive analysis piece last Sunday, quote, The public has taken to Martin after his time as Taoiseach with a widely held view that the older man, i.e. Martin, carried himself in a more statesmanlike way than his government partner, Radker. The quote continues, But the real issue for Fianna Fáil is that Michal Martin's popularity has not filtered down to the rest of the party, end of quote. And I think that last line is critical. Martin's popularity has not filtered down to the rest of the party. It hasn't, nor will it. The incessant spinning by Fianna Fáil apparatchiks, not to mention those craven ministers and backbenchers who keep telling us that Martin is Fianna Fáil's biggest asset, may result in a few nice quotes and headlines, but it doesn't alter the fact that his personal likability and popularity does not transfer into votes anywhere. Now, whether you believe Fianna Fáil is currently polling at 15%, according to the most, according to the latest Business Post's uh, Red Sea poll, or it's at 18%, according to the Sunday Independent Stroke Ireland's Tinks poll, or it's at 20%, according to the MRBI Irish Times, or sorry, Ipsos Mori poll, 
the simple fact is that Fianna Fáil support is at a lower point today than it was at the last election. And its performance on that day was its second worst performance ever. I would advise people to have a look at the pollingindicator.com website to see how far back into third place Fianna Fáil has slipped. And this is despite the huge popularity of its leader. The slippage hasn't taken place at some point before it. It's taking place at the time. Michal Martin's poll ratings and Fianna Fáil's poll ratings are diverging. And while Martin likes to talk about the three main parties, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin, being grouped together each in the low 20s, as he suggested to Mark Carruthers in his rather brittle BBC The View interview, almost two years of polling says otherwise. Now, I don't expect Martin of Radker to put any of this in their speeches and to talk about how much difficulty the parties are in or how that they are both below where they were in 2020. And but and for both parties, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, that 2020 performance was bad. Now, in Fine Gael's uh, situation, they may be one or two percentage points below where they were on the, in the disaster that was February 2020. But again, accepting where you, where you accept Fianna Fáil is now, Michal Martins is further behind and while I don't expect anyone to include any of that in their speeches, I do expect that this political reality, reality plays some part when it comes to crafting your message. And by the way, as I've set out here before, I do agree with Michal Martin that the result of the next election is very far from being a foregone conclusion. I do not think today's polls are a predictor of the election outcome, which I increasingly believe will come sooner rather than later, probably in the first half of 2024 and probably sometime in the second quarter. I also think there is some significant scope for major shifts between the three parties. Sinn Féin is not on some inexorable path to government. Its increase in support is no illusion and it is truly impressive. But it is as much due to the failings and political missteps of by the other two main parties and by Labour and others as it is to some brilliance within Sinn Féin. The relative positions of the three main parties can still change, but only if the leaderships in the two main government parties change their approach and reconnect with their supporters and their potential supporters. This is not merely about the face on the posters, but thinking that this change in fortunes will not require dramatic and radical changes in personnel is naive. Right now, the choice facing the electorate is as depressing as it is stark. On one side, you have Radker's Fine Gael representing continuity. On the other side, you have McDonald's Sinn Féin representing change. This binary, continuity versus change, A or B, choice, suits these two parties and these two leaders equally. But where does Fianna Fáil sit on this scale? Is it just a bit of both? Is it a changed continuity? I don't see how that works, but the positive of Fianna Fáil is that our PRSTV system allows for other options. It allows people to ask the question, yeah, I want change, but what type of change? Change to what? How radical? How much of a shift? Change in what areas? And the challenge for Fianna Fáil is how it frames its stance there. Now, the pity is that Martin and his team squandered last Saturday night's opportunity to begin framing that third way. And neither they nor any of the other Fianna Fáil folks sitting round the cabinet table, be that Michael McGrath, Darrell O'Brien, Norma Foley, Stephen Donnelly or the other one, um, 
uh, Charlie McCondog are showing any signs of being able to do any better. Now, that's where my column ended, and it's not too far off where this podcast is going to end. I mentioned Northern Ireland earlier, and I just want to add one little codicil, just one little extra bit. Last Thursday and Friday I was up in Belfast because I had the opportunity to attend the Ireland's future lunch in the Europa Hotel. And I was very, very impressed with the event, apart from the fact that they had two excellent speakers in Gavin Esler and Noel Dorn. Just the range of people around the table, around the tables, and I, I would have guessed there's about four or five hundred people in the room, gave an indication of where the centre of gravity is moving to. It showed that people want to engage on what does an Ar- New Ireland look like. The recent Lucid Talks poll and various other polls are showing that right across the political spectrum, even unionists are saying, look, if you're going to talk about unity, you better firm up on what this means. You better set out what does that unity look like? What does a New Ireland look like? What type of constitutional change are you talking about? What kind of future are you setting out? Now, in those relationships, in that strategy, in that area, Michal Martin's Shared Island Unit has an important part to play, but it shouldn't limit itself, as Michal Martin certainly indicated in his speech on Saturday, to a very narrow focus within that. Shared Island is an important part of this process, and Michal Martin is right. As we look back in the future, we will see the Shared Island Initiative as a very positive one for re-engaging between communities and for each community reaching out to the other. But to try and do it outside of the scope of what the new constitutional structure might look like, I think is limiting its own capacity. And I think that is a mistake. Anyway, so that's where I'm going to leave the podcast for this week. More than likely, I will try and do a podcast next week after the Sinn Féin Ordesh and maybe subject Mary Lou MacDonald's script and her speech to the same scrutiny because it's only fair to pick it on all sides. So I'll leave it at that. I hope you enjoy the week and hopefully I'll be talking to you next Monday. In the meantime, take care and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.